You're listening to Rust Belt Running. Running is what makes me realize that, like, I'm a human being who is worth something. That is not a good measurement of my value as a human. We get between eight and 10,000 additional comments, and I read every one of them. So you had to run Sand Run for your first. You become race director and take it out. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's got to be old guy naked in the locker room. I, I get to spend time with my friend Adam. I get to do something with my friend. Right now, I'm not thinking much beyond what I'm going to be drinking next week at this time. Coleslaw on a taco is not taco, it's barbecue. And so we'll be discussing tonight with some occasional swear words from Andrew because he's upset. And that's okay. I know him as the biggest Kid Rock fan around. You rap that. <laughs> oh, dear God. You're listening to Rust Belt Running. I am Adam Wheeler. You can find me on social media at Wheels Up in CLE. Joined, as I always am, by Andrew Hedinger, who you can find on social media at Andrew Runs A Lot. You can find the podcast on social media at Rust Belt Running. Today, we kind of wrap up political season by having friend of the Hopefully. pod. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. It's got to end at some points. Listen, the Electoral <laughs> College has spoken its piece. And for the 20th time, Joe Biden, you are the president-elect. Congratulations, <laughs> sir. Yes, yes. Oh, my um, gosh, all this winning. Um. God, if he wins Michigan anymore, he's going to have to change his name to Ohio State. Boom! We didn't get a game this year, so Joe Biden's victory is going to have to suffice. <laughs> they vote um, better than we do. I'll give them that. That's true. Uh, but no, we have a really good episode today with Adam Wren. Um, you can find him on social media at Adam Wren. You spell Wren, W-R-E-N. On Instagram, um, he is by Adam Wren. B-Y. Oh, good good uh but twitter yes just yes. adam wren um, um and he's featured on room raider which will <laughs> he gets to that don't worry um i i will just give his credentials he writes for politico um he's been he's written for the new york times the washington post the daily beast um what i like about his coverage of politics and writing for politico is that politico hires writers to go out and actually live in the states that they cover. So instead of writing for Politico and everybody lives in New York and Washington, where you're not really in touch with the voters whose issues you're covering, he lives in Indiana and he covers Indiana politics. And we actually talked some Indiana politics today. Um, we, we got from him some breaking news that by the time this is published, won't be breaking anymore about Pete Buttigieg and a, a job he might be getting soon. So, um, yeah, no, it was a great conversation with Adam. We had him on back. We published his episode on February 20th. We had him on to talk about the Democratic primaries at the time. And boy, does that feel like about five years ago. Oh, shit. What's funny is I remember you and I specifically talking about the interview with him like back in April because he was one of the last interviews we did before just everything shit hit the fan. And I can remember in April, you and I saying like, man, it feels like eight or nine months ago that we had him on. And by that point, it was only like six weeks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah. You know, and it's like you and I talked like it's just the guy writes for Politico. We have a followership of about 50 to 60 people. And it's just it just it speaks to just what a great duty is that he took some time out to get on with us and talk to us right before he has to go on what msnbc tonight 
Uh, he didn't say where he was going on tonight. That's right. He didn't. Yeah, he just had but, to be on TV. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's a uh, he's he's a big deal. He's a big deal, and he and he comes on here. We we've got a few big deals on here recently. We have, but, yeah. Um, you know, we uh, we appreciate anybody who comes on to talk to us yeah. for a little bit, uh, especially during this time where there's not a ton of running to talk about. Um, I do want to tell you something cool. Um, back in uh, March, I had talked about how the uh, the the coronavirus, COVID nineteen, had made it from Wuhan to my doorstep because it was at the hospital my wife worked at. Um, and it was on her floor. So, I mean, it was just feet from me physically. And uh, cool thing today, they inoculated people at her hospital. Oh, wow. So the vaccine is here. Um, it is in Canton, Ohio. And uh, that's exciting stuff. It's starting to it's happened the that rollout is happening and that that feels great to be able to say and uh, it's, it's kind of the antithesis of where we were back in march I, I you know numbers are bad things are things are still very bad but there there is a a huge amount of hope and i'm very excited about that um i don't want to talk about that for too long because you know what i didn't you know what i didn't realize I started listening to um, one of Andy Slavitt's podcasts. I've mentioned him on the shock. podcast before. I actually don't listen to him too often, but I after we had Eric Geyer on, um, he had he had done right around the same time we talked to Eric uh, some interviews with some of the guys who were involved um, with some of the vaccine timelines, just about like what the rollout schedule was going to look like. So just kind of expanding on what we had talked with Eric about, and I didn't realize this, but the 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 gene sequence for COVID nineteen was sent out. I think it was January eleventh or January twelfth by a Chinese scientist who actually did it without authorization. Just sent it out to the world. Said, "Hey, here it is. Have at it." And there was a vaccine created within weeks of that. Like the vaccine is actually the vaccine that a lot of people are going to be getting has actually been done since March, and it was just everything after that was the testing, which is just it it blows my mind. Like anytime I'm feeling bad about where the world is at right now with everything that's going on, I do stop to think about the fact that ungodly amounts of money and man hours were devoted to getting a vaccine out there. And less than a year after this was starting, vaccines are being shipped to people. People are getting vaccinated today. Like that's just, that's a lot of people all pointing in the same direction to get society back to where it can be. And it's, it's an incredible thing. Absolutely. You know what else is an incredible thing? Can I tell you about my weekend? Please. The Michiganless weekend. Oh, so Friday was my um, son's eighth birthday. And I, uh, I, I was thinking earlier in the week, I was like, how the hell are we going to make a birthday during 2020 special? You know, because there's no birthday parties. Right. How are we going to do this? And um, so I, I, I work four tens at work. So I'm usually off on Thursdays, which blows ass. Um, but uh, 
I um I worked my schedule around. I took Friday off. And we I decorated the front yard. I got like a big happy birthday sign to put in the front yard. Got like happy birthday balloons and like staked them in the yard. We had balloons freaking everywhere. Banners, streamers, you name it. It was all over my front yard. When my kid got home from school, my parents were here because we consider them part of our household. I find it so important to say that because I'm a total Corona bro. (laughs) So I have to like throw that disclaimer in there that we count my parents as part of our household. Um, We played like some loud kids rap happy birthday song. We had confetti cannons and silly string and welcomed my kid home with all of that from school. He hopped off the bus and that's what he came home to. And it was probably the most memorable birthday he'll ever have because it was just this, like, he didn't expect anything. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It's it's like I said on the Thanksgiving episode. That That's the episode I was thinking of. Yeah, it's just you can't have everything, but just find whatever meaning you can and whatever moments you can have. And, um, you know, there's there's going to be things that I take away from this year that I, I really remember very fondly. Like I, I can feel myself getting kind of worn down. Um, I've been working a ton just because the bottom fell out at work and there's not much else to do. So it's like, I might as well put my time to good use, but I can feel myself getting worn down by not having any outlets, but there've been little moments here and there over the last nine months that have just, they've been really meaningful because people have taken, you know, whatever you're able to do to like make something special out of that moment, people have taken the time to do that. And it's, those things matter. Yeah, he will remember that. He's going to remember that there was a lot that you couldn't do this year, and yet something special was done. The amount of stuff that kid had taken away from him this year. Yeah, you know, and it's like, I mean, now he goes, he goes remote learning the end of this week for two days, which I don't understand. Just cancel classes. He's in right. Great. Um, but you know, like, and we have winter break. Who knows how long the remote thing's going to last? Now, I hope it's right. not long because we simply can't afford for it to uh because we can't work from home (laughs) our jobs just don't allow it right uh but yeah he's i i don't want him to have anything else taken away from him one thing he did have taken away from him so we had this really good weekend we it started with that on friday picked up my new car my wife's new car that i talked about last week uh with carvana they continue to blow me away uh and then Sunday, as we're getting ready to bust open some Mario Party at seven o'clock as a family for a little Mario Party party, mm-hmm. um, my wife gets out of the shower and the shower won't drain. Oh, God. I told you before we even got on with Adam Wren, before we, uh, when we were in the wrong Zoom meeting, uh, that I was going to tell you about this weekend. Well, here you go. Um, I live in an old house. It was, it's a 19th century house. I don't know when the plumbing was put in, but let me tell you what, they have to be the original pipes because those fuckers were full of sludge and nastiness. And I worked from seven o'clock Sunday night to 1230 Monday morning, trying to get, do anything 
to get my my drains from our one single bathroom to move. Could not do it. So again, I had to flex my Thursday day off to Monday and replace all the pipes. The things you learned, just never buy a house, Adam. <laughs> if you're listening, you know, never buy a house. It is such a pain in the ass. Man, you know, I was like, and I grew up, I've said before, I grew up in a, in a pre-Civil War built house and it's a gorgeous house. My parents still live there. It's a gorgeous house. But like I saw the things my parents had to go through and the house was actually saved from demolition by the people that they bought it from. But the problem was the people they bought it from weren't themselves handy. So whatever they did to prop up what they saved needed to be almost wholly redone. Right. You know, ripped apart, redone. And they bought the house. Have you ever seen the movie The Money Pit with Tom Hanks? No. Okay, this is one of those like late 80s comedies that Tom Hanks was doing before he was getting actual serious roles. And the, the gist of it is basically that he and his wife buy like this old mansion like out in the Hamptons somewhere. And, you know, the, the owner makes this house look absolutely gorgeous and livable. And, you know, it's a steal. I'm, I'm having financial difficulties. I just need to unload it. And the previous owners have essentially like done the same exact things. They propped up everything they can. And within like a week, they've discovered everything that's going on with this house, toilets backing up and sinks falling apart, things catching on fire. And it's just, um, it's, it's actually a really funny, non-serious Tom Hanks role. And my mom always tells the story about when they bought this house that I grew up in, seeing that movie within the first couple of months and she's she's alternating laughing and crying because she's recognizing <laughs> she lives in this money pit and uh yeah no the number of things i've done and of course winter is always the worst time because if you have to do anything where you've got to like shut off the heat or do anything outside it is just not the time of year to be wanting to rip anything apart so i i it- I'm sorry, go ahead. No, finish your thought. I was just going to say, I do look forward to eventual home ownership, but I also hear these stories and look at the things my parents went through. And I do think like, man, I'll do it when I'm ready. Like right yeah. now, it's great when I can just call somebody and be like, hey, right. something's broken in my apartment. Get your ass down here and fix and it. And it's on their dime. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I. So it's so bizarre. For whatever reason, this time of year is always when something happens. Like a couple of years ago, our stove went out. Last year, it was our water heater. Like, it's, I don't like that because this is the time of year I want to be spending money on gifts and stuff for family. Right. But um, that's it's what we have and it's where we are. And you know what? In the grand scheme of things, it didn't cost me that much to fix it. It was a lot of, it was not a lot of sleep and a lot of sweat equity. Uh, right. that went into it and a lot of texting one of my good buddies who's like just handy at everything um to kind of walk me through it without him i would have been totally lost <laughs> but um yeah it's homeownership is a hell of a thing so you say you ran i did i i got out and ran on saturday and was reminded that i'm once again out of shape yeah um i'll tell you what it's really weird because this this is like the end of my 10th year of being a runner so i'm an experienced runner now but 
I really haven't run regularly since June. And, you know, even then, like I was training in the spring without any real, any real, you know, idea that races were going to happen this fall. So for this year, like my running wasn't super serious. And now I'm sitting here and thinking about how my days used to revolve around my running. Like running was the first thing that was scheduled in and everything else revolved around it. And I'm looking and it's like, shit, I've got to like find time to run. I feel like a beginner all over again where I, you know, running isn't the centerpiece of my day right now. And I'm having to reschedule things to make sure I get my runs. in. so I'm going to get back out later this week and just nothing too crazy. Yeah. I think some of that comes, we kind of touch on this for a split second with, uh, Adam, when we were talking to him towards the end, I think some of it has to do with the, the, just the amount of time in the day, like light in the day, because man, it just feels like everything has gone too quick. I get, I don't, the only time I see the sun is when I'm at work or on the weekends, I'll run on the weekends, right? It's hard to get back into the habit, develop the habit during these like eight hours of sun days that we currently have. I mean, the sun's not w- w- sunrise isn't technically to like seven fifty two, Right. And sunsets at like four forty. Like, what are you supposed to do? I mean, y- you do work different hours, so you may have less of an excuse than I do. It, yeah, it, it definitely helps. <laughs> it definitely helps having, the day where such I'm working like second shift where I have, you know, the earlier part of the day to do it, I can get up and have my breakfast, drink my coffee, and I can go run at 11 o'clock and, um, you know, get in a full run and still have part of my day before I have to go to work. When I was teaching, it was really bad. Um, and the two years that I was teaching where we had those really bad polar vortexes, and I hate treadmill running, I was lucky in that the school that I taught at had an indoor track now it was like oh that's worse than a treadmill dude uh to me no i i just can't stand being on a treadmill i'm not saying that i enjoyed it but you know if if running on a treadmill is a one running on that indoor track was a two but it was a little bit better um so i can remember doing a lot of runs where i would finish with my schoolwork at around maybe like three or four change go run change again get back into my car go home but you know it's like it was the same thing then I was getting to work when it was dark I was leaving when it was dark and I felt like I didn't see the sun outside of when I was at work for three or four months right so yeah I am yeah you know we'll see I'm not putting any sort of um, I'm not doing anything really super serious right now Uh, you know you and I've talked before we're we're kind of I think probably still in the same spot of saying we're basically going to kind of graft our 2020 plans into 2021 um so like the first race i'd even consider running would be uh the towpath 10 miler on father's day and it's a smaller race so even if like big full races can't happen uh the towpath trilogy they did their fall races this year live so i'm hoping that maybe that race can happen and then hopefully the columbus marathon in the fall um they just sent out their email today and i thought this was interesting they are not going to open registration on february 1st like they typically do and they, they cited two specific reasons, one of them being um, one of them being just the fact that they don't know exactly what NextFall is going to look at. But the other one that I thought was just, it reflects everything we love about the people that run the Columbus Marathon uh, was, hey, people are financially strapped. And because we don't know what the race is going to look like yet, we don't want people spending money they might not have in February. So we'll open it yeah. at some point. 
Darius is such a good dude. He is. I have to get him back on soon. Yeah, you know, we can we can get him on sometime in the spring and talk about, you know, what the We're hell it looks like that. trying to figure out what uh, what what it looks like trying to figure out what a race may or may, or may not look like. You know, one thing you were talking about when you were talking about hating treadmill running. Yeah. And I kind of thought of what really sucks this year is usually, so I have a treadmill at home. I can't use that thing unless it's for like four miles. I can't use it. What I have, what I had a lot of success with last year was going to the gym and using the treadmill at the gym. Right. Just to kind of get into a different environment, kind of feel like I'm, you know, there's less distraction. Yep. Um, I mean, even though there's more people in noise, there's nothing I'm invested in. There's not my kid. There's not my wife, dogs, all that. Like it's, it's a separate place. It's kind of good to get on my own. Some of the things you get with running, um, even on the street, uh, you know, you get as, at least as a dad, you can get going to the gym. And this year I haven't, I haven't had a gym membership since May. Yeah. And I didn't use, and the only reason it went to May is because I couldn't cancel it in March and April because you have to cancel it in person. And it was right. So, um, yeah, it's a struggle right now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because what you're describing is what I, I think about when I talk to people whose kids are learning from home or teachers who are doing online teaching is that you're so used to having those specific places where yeah. you know what the responsibilities are. I go to the gym and I know what I'm doing there. If I go teach in a classroom, I know what I'm doing there. And people don't necessarily have that same sort of separateness with the right. places they live in. And it's, it's a huge issue for people that do work at home because you have to actually like carve out specific time. You'll, you'll hear people that say they actually get dressed for work, even though they're going to be at home because otherwise it's so easy to feel like you're not working. Right. And um, I, I miss going to the gym terribly. I loved having just like that little late night space to myself and nobody else would be there except for, you know, after the first of the year, you'd come across those two people that would camp out on yoga mats and take pictures of themselves in front of the equipment that I wanted to use. I miss even that. You're, you're not an elitist at all, Adam. I just want to do my shit. You can do whatever you want. Just don't do it in front of the equipment that I need that you're clearly not using. I did a crunch selfie time. I guess we should uh, get to Adam Wren. <laughs> we should. That's what people are listening for. Not us. Uh, I, I really enjoyed our time with him. Um, I, I enjoy towards the end. There's some, uh, some great uh, self-deprecating humor yes. from, from Adam. And it was just, uh, you know, it's just appreciated. I mean, to bring on a guy who, you know, this is such a, a uh, strange time in American politics. I, I think we just want politics to be boring again. Yes. Um, but, you know, he's been, you know, kind of on the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. But he's been, he's been like in it. He's been elbow deep in politics for a long time. And just to kind of get his perspective through this terribly partisan year uh, was, uh, I thought it was really fun to, you know, just sit and talk with him for a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And he's he may not live in Ohio anymore, but he's still a still an Ohio native. And he's still from Indiana or lives in Indiana, which is such a similar state to ours in so many ways. Yeah, it really is. And he taught me about corn cutting down the wind. You know, what's funny is as he was telling that story, like we were we were kind of getting to the time limit where he was going to have to go. Where I live near the Cauga Valley, I live near a lot of trees, so I don't experience that. But if I go visit my parents and run, they live out in the country where there are a lot of farms. And I really don't like running around this time of year or even early spring when nothing's planted because it's true. Nothing blocks the wind. It's all just flat farmland. And if there's any wind, it just batters the hell out of you in a way that I don't experience out where I live near the Calga Valley. So um, I, I didn't want to get further into it at that point because he had to go, but I kind of did know exactly what he was talking about. Well, it thank, thanks, for, thanks for ruining it, Adam. You're supposed what? to say spoiler alert. You know people were hanging on to that. I think they're going to be hanging more on the self-deprecating humor <laughs> about his MSNBC appearance. It's, it's good. It's good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know the Twitter account that I will not mention existed. I, I've been looking oh, through Oh, dude, it. it's so good. I've, I've been following them for months. No, I had um, no idea, and it's fantastic. It may have been his incident that uh, caused me to follow them. I can't remember, but I began following them, and it's it's brilliant. And I, uh, I, I feel like I would do pretty good. We'll see in a couple weeks. And when, if I get what I asked for for Christmas and our secret Santa and our family. What's really funny about it is that it's clearly gotten to the, like the size and stature where when, when they are specifically like calling people out or rating people, those people are then retweeting it and saying like, hey, it's me. <laughs> so I'm going to have to follow these folks. Yes, there you go. So make sure you stay tuned and listen to our interview with Adam Wren. Uh, he writes for politico and he yep. has his own newsletter uh called importantville uh which is about the politics of indiana adam is a runner as well uh he, he's run a few full marathons and half marathons and he actually wanted to talk running more than we did i say like, we did talk for quite a bit of, of time about running and about his running and what his plans are wait for next year. hold up <laughs> we gave him like six minutes of the 40 all right, let's not give ourselves too much credit here. Listen, given that there's absolutely nothing running going on at all, I thought we actually fit in a fair amount of running discussion. And I thought his point about how important running is for him yes. right now, given everything that's going on, was actually just a really important point to talk about uh, after what's been a really weird race this year. Yes. So listen to Adam Wren, writer for Politico. Uh, writer for his own Importantville, uh, our interview with Adam Wren right now. All right, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be here. Happy to be here with you guys again. My second time. We yes. just we just missed Adam breaking huge news tonight. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm really disappointed that we couldn't have scheduled this for a few hours earlier. But because uh, we could have been the talk of the town, really got some exposure. How you been? 
Uh, doing great. Yeah. Doing great. Um, yeah, things are going, going well, getting back into running shape after campaign season. Um, so I'm, uh, targeting some goals, looking at the Columbus marathon next year, nice. uh, Lord willing, if it happens and we get the vaccine and, and, you know, races come back to, to normal for non-elite runners. Um, so I'm doing well. I'm super excited. How- it's actually interesting that you mentioned Columbus because I was telling Andrew just before we got on with you that the Columbus Marathon sent out their monthly email today and typically they open registration on February 1st. And yeah. in the email today, they said that they're not going to open it as early as they have in the past uh, for two specific reasons. One was that just still looking at what the, uh, what the situation is going to look like in the fall if big races can actually happen. And they also mentioned not wanting to have people having to spend money in February at a time when people are financially hurting. So um, yeah, really hoping that race does happen because I think all three of us actually are probably going to be targeting Columbus next year. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I had a bad, I, I finished on a bad, I had a, I set a PR in my first Columbus Marathon in 2016, and then um, I returned back to it in 2017, and that was the year that it was like 80 degrees, um, and it was a brutal, brutal slog the last six miles or so. Speaking of brutal, brutal slogs, um, we, we wanted to bring you on here after the election, which is like, <laughs> even more official after the electoral college uh, voted on Monday. Um, I don't know how many more wins Biden can get because I'm pretty sure he set a record for a presidential election, but how was this whole season? We talked to you, I think back in February, I think you were the last episode before all the COVID stuff hit the fan. February 20th is when we published it. Okay. So we might've had one more episode, but then things got really wacky and we barely talk about running. So um, we still do run and love to talk about running, but we, we really wanted to hear your thoughts a little bit on, um, you know, how campaign season went for you. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hold your feet to the fire a little bit on what your predictions were when we talked to you back in February. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and uh, everybody's a journalism critic. Hey, you agreed to come on here. That's all right. No, I'm happy. I'm happy. I deserve it. I deserve it. Bring it. Bring it. Let's do that. Why don't you take us a little bit like through what you did, um, what what you were doing since February? Because you you made it on uh you made it on we, we saw you on new major news networks and um you you still say we're better than they are. I mean, you said that right before we came on. But uh, you've been with major news networks and stuff. I just kind of want to know what was this whole crazy ridiculous election cycle like for you a journalist um yeah so it was really interesting you know it kind of started out in and for me in the fall of 2018 um when i uh, began profiling mayor pete Buttigieg, um you know as a potential presidential candidate for indianapolis monthly here in indiana um and at that point uh we we went on a run together along the river in South Bend, St. Joseph River, starting at his house and kind of running downtown, uh, running tour of the city. Um, and at that point, you know, Pete Buttigieg was considered to be kind of a long shot contender uh, for, for the presidency, kind of no name value. Uh, but as the months rolled on, he sort of vaulted into the top tier of the race, uh, eventually won Iowa. Uh, and so, you know, I followed his campaign there closely. Um, 
you know, went, followed him through South Carolina. And then, um, you know, right after South Carolina, that Sunday, um, I was back home in Indiana and kind of resting actually in bed at like five o'clock on, on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and then got a text from a source that I should head, head to South Bend as quickly as possible. Um, it, it was March 1st, and uh, it seems like years ago at this point, but uh, he was dropping out of the race, suspending his, his race. So I sped about two hours up US 31 north to South Bend, covered him dropping out of the race there. Um, and that was around the first uh, confirmed coronavirus case uh, in, um, in the United States. And so really uh, in a week or so, uh, everything kind of ground to a halt. And, you know, most of the, my campaign coverage was, you know, rather than being on planes was, you know, from the comfort of my, of my home and my, and my office, um, you know, here. And so, you know, it was a really different campaign season. I, you know, kind of profiled from that moment on, um, you know, some, some Indiana connections to, to the national election cycle. Um, and, you know, occasionally covered Pete Buttigieg as he campaigned uh, for candidates up and down the ballot, not only in Indiana, but, but nationwide, and, and became kind of a chief surrogate for uh, Vice President-elect, or actually I should say President-elect Biden, um, was really one of his key campaigners. Uh, and then again, you know, as is kind of true, uh, you know, more Hoosiers became connected to the Biden administration. The chief of staff, Ron Klain, is from Minneapolis. Um, um, someone who, whom I've interviewed before um, in a live setting. So it seems like Indiana and Ohio, for their part, always kind of end up into the national conversation around politics. Uh, and so that was kind of my, um, you know, experience co covering um, 2020. You know, I'm a little different than kind of a daily reporter. I cover, um, you know, I cover uh, people in, in magazines and, and using long form narrative, um, as well as the newsletter that I write. So, um, you know, I kind of have you know, more longer takes than your traditional like newspaper journalists uh, that are kind of written more in a narrative style. Um, and so my, my job looks a little bit different than like your average, you know, television reporter or your know, newspaper reporter. I'm going to be kinder when I ask about the last time you were on and the prediction that you made at the time, because I texted my mom uh, the night of the Iowa caucus. I, both Andrew and I supported more progressive members of the Democratic Party in the in the primary, but I think Andrew, I'm, I think probably both of us knew that Joe Biden was going to be a formidable candidate and probably the biggest obstacle to the candidates you and I supported. And so when Joe Biden finished fifth in Iowa, I texted my mom and said, "Joe Biden's political campaign just ended tonight. Our political uh, career just ended tonight." So I was way way off. So as I as I say that to ask this question. When we had you on in February, Iowa and New Hampshire were the only two nominating, uh, nominating contests that had happened at that point. And Joe Biden had finished fifth in Iowa, fourth in New Hampshire. And at the time, you felt that the contest was going to come down to Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg. What, what happened? What did you maybe not foresee that so decisively swung the, the contest quickly back to Joe Biden? Yeah, well, um, two things. First of all, his strong performance in South Carolina among African Americans, um, uh, they, they really um, sort of cemented his candidacy and he owes a lot to them as a constituency group. They really brought him back from the political dead. Um, and in ad addition to that, I would say, um, 
you know, that Monday after Buttigieg dropped out, he of course um, endorsed, flew, flew to Texas and endorsed Joe Biden there, head of Super Tuesday, uh, as did, um, you know, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, as did um, uh, uh, other candidates as well. Um, and, and that really changed the arc of the race and sort of, uh, you know, blocked, uh, blocked Bernie Sanders uh, from from uh, potentially winning, um, and of course, you know Michael Bloomberg spent you know lots of money per delegate, and just didn't really resonate uh, with with voters across the country. Of course, Elizabeth Warren sort of masterfully dismantled him ahead of the South Carolina yeah. debate, and I think you know we had, we recorded before that that moment happened, uh, and and really at that that moment he was sort of dead in the water, or she, uh, you know, Michael Bloomberg was dead in the water. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Warren sort of did him in in a very eloquent, masterful way. So I think that's kind of what I missed at the moment. But, you know, when we talked, you know, Bloomberg had, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, you know, that he was pouring in and no one else could really match that. Other candidates like Pete Buttigieg were struggling in fundraising. Um, and so, you know, we just, you know, I, I think that was sort of the, the way that I missed that. Um, but, I, you know, I do think that, you know, Pete Buttigieg winning Iowa was, was a historic event. And he, you know, likely could have gone further in the nomination contest. But for the debacle that we saw in Iowa uh, with the state Democratic Party, where the app malfunctioned, and he just didn't get the bump that he needed to, um, you know, to, to spur on fundraising and media coverage uh, like their plan was. All right. We're not journalists, so we don't have to be like unbiased like you do. But I do want to point out, uh, going back to what you said about Pete Buttigieg being uh, um, nominated for transportation secretary, um, he would be the first, if confirmed, he'll be the first openly um, LGBTQ LGBTQ, uh, cabinet member in United States history. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, for, that's for, monumental and awesome. So he's yeah. monumental in many ways. I, that's what made me want to bring it up was you talked about his monumental win in Iowa and it just kind of like hit me. I'm like, that, yeah, good thing to bring up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, you know, essentially, um, you know, was someone um, who Biden had said reminded of him of his late son, Bo, and that he wanted to find him a place in the administration um, and was just looking for ways uh, to do that. Um, I will also say he's probably the fastest half marathoner in the cabinet so far. Um, do you, you know, know anything about Kamala's uh, running? Because I mean, there's that epic video of her. Yeah. Do you, what, what can yeah. you what what insight can you give us into Vice President Elect Kamala Harris's uh, running? I know she uh, is a runner. Um, and does, you know, uh, does that uh, as exercise, um, you know, but beyond that, I do not know. I mean, of course, there's that famous video of her uh, talking to uh, uh, President-elect Biden, um, you know, after, after finding out that, uh, uh, so we know that she's, she's dedicated to running, but lots of runners uh, in the cabinet. So, uh, a pro-running a pro cabinet. I don't know that you can ask uh, on a podcast like this, um, um, you know, any anything else uh, other than that. That's, um, oh, man, we, we got to do some research. 
wheels and i'll get on it yeah we got so we yeah i need to know what other of these cabinet members are runners and then we need to get them on yes they'll have time right doubtful yeah yeah that's true you covered pete Buttigieg when he was running uh for the nomination and now with him being the nominee for transportation secretary He's obviously one of the younger lights in the Democratic Party. How will running a cabinet position fit into sort of the next tier of his career as he starts moving along in the Democratic Party? Um, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it, a lot depends on his, his confirmation. You know, typically the Senate who provides counsel uh, on nominations like these, you know, they, they kind of defer to the incoming president, but with a hyperpartisan uh, atmosphere that we have, you know, you can't really take his 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 confirmation for granted. Um, but you know, this is a position where, uh, ostensibly, you know, if some kind of stimulus deal is is passed, um, you know, he would be put in a position where he'd be traveling across the country, doing ribbon cuttings, um, you know, unveiling new bridges, new highways, and would really be able to build up kind of a, a lot of connections, bipartisan connections across the country uh, for a future bid. Um, you know, he's gonna be 39 years old uh, the day before inauguration day. So, I mean, you know, he could, he could run again for president in 30 years and would still be seven or eight years younger than Biden is Jeez. now. Um, so, you know, that's decades, decades um, that he has to, to really uh, cement his, uh, his time in Washington. One of the youngest, cabinet uh, cabinet officials uh ever um you know he's 38 now he turns 39 on january 19th um and so you know he's got a lot of time uh under 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 his belt um to, to really make a, a difference do, do you keep in touch with him because you, you're pretty you, you followed him often and i mean you, you there's video you had video of him um mastering a claw machine i'm still not sure if he ever got anything from it he did. Uh, he, did. <laughs> he did. And fun story, fun story. I actually have the thing that he captured. Um, actually, that's not quite, uh, that, that's not quite right. Um, so, so he, he didn't win anything that day I was with him, but a week later when our photographer from Indianapolis monthly went to, um, uh, South Bend to, to photograph him, they went back to the claw machine and he actually won uh, a stuffed animal that I now have in my possession. I was watching that video, right? Because you posted on your Instagram story and it was like six stories long and there was no conclusion. And it uh, it left me hanging unless there was another story I missed. But I yeah, was not... I've got to find, I've got to find that. Um, I've got to find the other part of that video uh, in, the, in the memory hole of my phone. So okay. um, it, it exists, it exists. I just have to, I have to track it down. So with that, like is... Is he somebody that you, you know, is he just too busy for you or like, are you a peon or like, is that somebody that you continue to keep in touch with as a member of the press or even on a personal level? I'm just curious. Well, um, you know, a journalist uh, doesn't really talk uh, about their, about their sourcing. Um, yeah. So I'll say that up front, but um, you know, I am a peon uh, regardless of what my answer would be. <laughs> so um but, but you know, um, someone that um, someone that I I try to follow as closely as possible. Because you just know so much about him. 
And that's why I'm just like, are you going to be following this dude around for a long, long time? Well, I mean, that, in a good way, in a good way. That could sound really creepy, but it's in a good way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, as a journalist, I look for figures who are newsworthy and potentially transformational. Um, he's certainly a controversial figure um, among, uh, you know, those, those on the left, uh, progressives kind of, you know, uh, have uh, extremely online progressives have kind of a frustration with him. Um, you know, re many Republicans think think he is too too liberal. Democrats have have said he's a closet Republican. Um, you know, some have suggested he's a former CIA agent um, without without ev without evidence. Um, so he's a, a controversial figure, a transformative figure. Figure someone um, who you know will go on Fox News. And we'll talk um, to you know Red America um, in a way that that uh, you know seems to be you know successful in, in certain cases. So, you know, he's someone I expect to, to follow as a journalist for a long time to come. I loved what he did on Fox News over and over and over. Like he just put himself out there, and I, I think he had said like you. He he was basically just talking about meeting people where they are. And, you know, these people need to hear the message. And that's why he kept going on Fox News while so many Democrats didn't. Yeah, you know, a number of um, Democrats said, you know, we're not doing Fox News. We're not going to be uh, a part of that. Um, we're not going to participate in, in, in what they're doing. Um, and so, you know, he was kind of a stark contrast to that and appeared on Fox News many times for town halls. Uh, and continues to do so. And it's not hard to imagine him doing the same, you know, championing, uh, you know, a, a Biden administration, um, uh, you know, legislative goals like an infrastructure deal. Um, there's talk that, you know, Biden could could propose a $2, million, a $2 trillion infrastructure deal um, to stimulate the econ economy. And you can imagine Buttigieg sort of going on uh, Fox News and, and championing that uh, legislative uh, package. Along those lines, what do you think the Democratic Party needs to get better at to start winning in places where they've struggled to win or where they underperformed this year? I know you I talked about how I read your newsletter and you wrote, uh, wrote after the election that the Indiana Democratic Party had had some high hopes for the election this year. Was it was Indiana fifth the swing district that they thought they were going to be able to take? That's right. Yeah. Indiana fifth, which is a suburban district, uh, much like you would find, you know, around Cleveland or uh, around Columbus, places like, you know, Dublin, um, Dublin, Ohio, uh, you know, uh, Westerville, those okay. are sort of an analogous congressional district there. Okay. Um, yeah. So what, what do you think the Democratic Party needs to better do to start winning in those places? They obviously flipped some pretty big states to flip, you know, Arizona, Georgia, Georgia, huge flips. But at the same time, um, you know, they thought they were going to outright take the Senate and they didn't. They lost seats in the House. They they seem to struggle to win in a state like Indiana, which has been maybe more historically red. What do you think they need to do better start reaching voters to start winning more of those elections? Um, you know, that's a question I think that that uh, transcends Indiana, as you mentioned, and goes into places like Ohio, deep red places, uh, even even parts of Michigan, though, though, though Biden won that state. Um, you know, that's an ongoing conversation that will last, you know, way longer than, than this podcast. Um, you know, it's going to be a conversation Democrats are going to, are going to have and continue to have uh, over a period of time for, for years to come. 
Um, one of the things that Pete Buttigieg did in uh, uh, rural parts of a state like Iowa, uh, which is you know similar to Indiana and Ohio in terms of its pork productions, you know soybean production, corn production, um, is you know he kind of talked. He talked the talk. He walked the walk. You know, he went and visited a, uh, you know, a uh, ethanol plant. Um, he he talked to farmers about things that mattered to them, like uh, climate change, and framed issues like climate change in a way that hit home with farmers. Um, and so, you know, I think nationally, the the party needs to do that more. Um, you know, slogans like "defund the police" really hurt Democrats in suburban parts of the country. Uh, you know, where people, you know, may support movements like Black Lives Matters, but, you know, a, a, a slogan like defund the police sounds radical to them, even if it's not, that's not what the slogan in of itself, you know, means, um, according to, you know, kind of criminal justice reform advocates. So, um, you know, Democrats need to, to really find a way to communicate with voters in red states like Ohio, Indiana, and elsewhere. And, um, you know, I think Buttigieg will be a part of that in the future messaging to them in the industrial Midwest. So I'm going to ask you one, well, well I want to give you some time to talk about running because you started with it and then we turned you into what we wanted to talk about. Um, but uh, we are a running podcast. And we're going to talk about running, but first and foremost, I do have to ask you, um, I had posted this on our Instagram story a few months back. You went on NBC or MSNBC. It might have even been prime time. Your your house behind you, immaculate. Until you look, I forgot about this. To the right of your head, and there is a a pile of something left in the floor by the door. And I want to ask, how do you have the house that perfect? <laughs> but that happens on well, national television. <laughs> and what ran through your head when you noticed it happened? We're gonna go there, okay? Well, okay. So, um, <laughs> in addition, in addition to covering um, the election and you know having my hands full, um, in October we decided it would be a good idea, my wife and my two-year-old daughter, to move into our first house. Uh, and so we moved uh, a couple of weeks before the election, uh, which was rough. And so, um, you know, we moved into a new house that we built um, just outside of Indianapolis and everything was pretty much immaculate, but we kind of had a pile of coats and stuff that we, that we hadn't taken care of yet. And in my wife's defense to protect her honor, uh, you know, she was at work. And so, you know, um, she was not aware of my activities and I did not realize that this pile of coats uh, were, were, were in the shot that I set up on my computer uh, to go live on MSNBC to talk about the vice presidential debate. Uh, of course, uh, Hoosier was in the, the debate, uh, Mike Pence. Um, and so I was brought on to talk about that um, on MSNBC in the morning. And didn't even realize that was in the shot until an account called um, Room Raider, uh, which yes, is, I was going to ask you if you're on that. Yeah, so that's actually how I found out that that existed. Um, I'll see if I can find what what they said. But this is an account that has 361 uh, followers and on uh, Twitter. 361,000. 361,000 followers um, on Twitter and. Um, didn't, didn't realize uh, that, um, 
you know, that I would be featured on this account. Um, but I was, and they tweeted out, they essentially rate the, rate the room and say like, you know, this room's a, a one out of 10, or this, you know, this room is a, um, you know, it's a five out of 10. Um, and so Room Raider tweeted out the picture of the shot, which you can put in the show notes if you want. Uh, nice kitchen setup, good plant flower work, lower camera slightly, who, what is in the back corner? <laughs> nine out of 10. So I was happy with a nine out of 10. Dude, uh, they hammer on cord violations. That is yeah. like, that's the big thing. You have cords anywhere. They, you're in eight automatically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, you know, it, funny story, inside story. Like I had studied the Room Raider account because I knew that, you know, I was probably going to be on TV at some point. And so I knew they like flowers. So I like ran to the closest, closest Kroger. Um, <laughs> like 10 minutes, I had like 10 minutes before my shot and ran there and bought like whatever flower they had at the front of the store and like ran home and put it on the, on the kitchen table. And so I got points for that. And then I forgot about the details of just this <laughs> random pile of looks like a dead body in the room. <laughs> it's um, so funny because everything else is so immaculate and perfect. And <laughs> there's just that is what makes it so awesome. Well, so um yeah so like you know three you know hundreds of thousands of people um you know saw that uh, on on Twitter and on television, and uh, I'll do better next time. I haven't been asked back, <laughs> I haven't been asked back on. Interestingly, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't think that has. I don't think that's why. I think it's. I choose to believe it's because a Hoosier hasn't been in the news since the vice presidential debate. Um, so we'll see if if in the next couple of days. In the next couple of days, uh, I won't uh, I won't be asked back on because of the the detritus that was in the corner of the shot. <laughs> All right. Well, Zoom is telling me we got about five and a half minutes left. So you, you started talking about running. So tell us. I know we're a running podcast, and we give you five minutes to talk about running. Um, what what's you said you're gonna train for Columbus, and you've been getting back into the groove of things with a with a new child and a new house and all of that. What's that looking like and feeling like for you as you're getting back into it after a very chaotic and crazy uh, 2020? Yeah. Um, you know, our, our daughter, we had our daughter in 2018 and, um, you know, my last mar- full marathon that I ran was that November, the Indianapolis monumental marathon. And at like mile 15 or 16, um, I, uh, I stopped and, uh, and kissed my wife's belly uh, uh, for good luck before my daughter was born. A, month, a few weeks actually before my daughter was born. And that was the last marathon I ran. I ran the Indianapolis mini marathon that following spring. Um, but but uh, the, the, the dad bod effect is a real thing that happens. Um, and so, you know, just other things took over, work got hard and I've really been working to kind of make running a priority. Uh, because for me, um, one of the things that I've learned is that, um, you know, the, the, the chemical high from running is just so such a healthy thing for me to have in my life. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a better dad, I'm a better writer, um, I'm a better uh, journalist and, and a person, a better human uh, when I'm running actively. And so 
Um, I'm really working to, to find space in my, in my weekly schedule to, to, to make sure that's a priority. Um, so yeah, um, it, it's been such a hard year to not have races to target, you know, whether it's a 5k on, on the 4th of July or whether it's a, a half or a full marathon. Um, it's, it's just been tough to stay committed to running. Um, but, but I'm, I'm getting back into it. Uh, I've got four, five, almost five weeks straight of building up mileage. So, um, nice. I, I'm looking at like some, you know, some, some options for the winter. I need to get a new treadmill, um, for a cold Midwestern winter, but, uh, I actually like the cold, you know, having gr gr been grown up in Northwest Ohio. Um, I, uh, I love, I love the cold and running in the cold. So it's not that, it's not that bad. Actually. It's, it's the lack of sunlight that gets me. Yeah. Yeah. It's the lack of the sunlight is tough. Yeah. The lack of sunlight's tough. Um, I'll tell you what I don't like is, is the wind. Um, yeah. It's, it's not the cold that gets you. It's, it's the, it's the wind. So, um, and, and, in, and in places like Northwestern Ohio and, and Indiana um, where it's just sort of wide open um, it's, you know, and when the corn has been harvested, there's just nothing to protect you as the wind cuts across the prairie. <laughs> is that really what it is? Is it really because the corn is harvested and that's why it gets windy here in the winter? I'm well, not an Ohio native. I mean, is that a real thing? I, I don't know whether well, to I laugh mean, or have, cry. When you have like flat land, the, you know, uh, the, the, the wind cuts across uh, the prairie, um, you know, without nothing to block it. Um, one of my favorite facts that I learned in Ohio uh, social studies in middle school, I don't know if you guys learned this or not, um, but, um, you know, a flying squirrel was said to be able to, uh, to go from the, the southern tip of the state to the northern top of the state without ever touching ground because there were so many trees yeah. across Ohio before it was settled. Um, and, uh, you know, the trees, you know, kind of block the wind, but, uh, out here in Indiana, it's just, it's flat as can be. And there's, there's nothing to really stop, stop the wind. So it's kind of brutal. Did you guys learn, learn that in, in Ohio? I did actually, I, I, the way that I remember the statistic with it was that it was basically from the East coast all the way to the Mississippi river. Interesting. That it was just yeah. wooded all across the continents and that, yeah, you could have a squirrel jump from tree to tree. Yeah, it's crazy to think about like what it was like way back when. And, uh, you know, when you drive through these towns and you think this was just woods at some point. That's what it is for me. I'm a city boy. I mean, I didn't grow up in Ohio. I grew up in Atlanta and Denver. But, um, well, Adam Wren, do you, do you have any, you have like, 30 seconds. Do you have anything you'd like to finish up with saying today before you go on to your next big, uh, your big appointment here? Um, if you're going to be on national TV, make sure that your room is clean behind you. Um, <laughs> great advice. Great advice. So uh, no, I would just say, I, lo I love what you guys do. I'm, I'm really honored to have to be on the podcast. Um, keep up the good work. And um, uh, I, I love listening. Um, so I I'm a fan before I was a guest. Oh, we appreciate that. That's huge praise. We've known Adam for quite a while, and he did drop some some truth on us with the with the um, make sure your room's clean. That's why we don't do video anymore. Um, so, <laughs> Adam Wren, thank you for joining us. As always, Adam Wheeler, it's good to talk to you too. 
Um, Adam, best of everything in the in the future to you. We're going to have you on again at some point, and things are going to slow down, and we're going to bring you on and only talk about revenue, I promise. Okay, is that a promise or a threat? That's a promise. Both. <laughs> All right, so to everybody, stay safe, stay clean, stay home, please. Arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor, and enjoy your miles, everybody.